and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management and marketing professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Marketing, and your host for this episode. Today, we're going to talk about one of my favorite tools that we teach about. One of the things that, as soon as I learned and implemented in my career, far before I came here, really changed the the way I did marketing and the results I saw. Win-loss. And one of the things in this year's survey that we saw in win-loss is that less than 40% of all of our Uh, product managers and product marketing people that we spoke with actually do win-loss at their organization. And it's just such a powerful tool and such a missed opportunity if you're not taking it that what I wanted to do today was bring in someone who's really an expert in the area and can really talk about what win-loss means, how it came about, and sort of best practices you can put in place to get it going. So I would like to welcome Rich Schroeder. Hello, Rich. Hey, Rebecca, thanks so much for having me on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Now, Rich, I know that you founded Anova Consulting Group, which does a bunch of win-loss. And before that, you were managing director at Chatham Partners, which is a market research firm. Tell me a little bit more about your background and how you got into win-loss. Sure. And, uh, and just thanks so much again. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, as Rebecca indicated, uh, just by way of introduction, again, I'm Rich Schroeder. I'm founder and president of Anova Consulting Group. Um, I started the company uh, 15 years ago, uh, and, and as Rebecca mentioned, prior to that, I was at another company, which I helped to get started in 1997. So I've been doing win-loss for uh, almost 21 years, which is uh, incredible to, to think. But uh, I started, uh, we really started working out of the then president's home in 97, and I can remember um, uh, calling people, and you know nobody really knew what win loss was, uh, and I would have these interesting conversations, just kind of cold calling companies, and uh, they'd be like, "Well, tell me more about that. What is that?" And people really didn't know what it was. Uh, so anyway, we, we we built that company over a period of seven years. It was sold in in 2004. That's when I started my own company, as I had a piece of that other company, and uh, a lot of my teammates came with us. So we've been in business. Uh, Many of us have been together 15, 20 years really doing, you know, being pioneers in the win-loss space. And Rebecca, as you just said on your survey, you know, less than, I think we talked about 38% of companies do win-loss. We wrote a book on win-loss seven years ago for McGraw-Hill. And at that time when we did our research, uh, it was only about 20% of companies doing win-loss. So it's still embryonic. Looks like it's almost doubled, which we've felt here in terms of the growth of the company. Uh, but when you think about it, still, um, most people, most companies don't do win-loss still, uh, you know, less than 40%. So it's an exciting time. It's growing, but it's still got a long way to go. So that's just a little bit of a background on us and and, uh, and our history. Great. All right, Rich. So you said you've been in the, in the win-loss area for 20 years, and obviously it's it's grown and it's come, but how else have you seen it evolve? Sure. Yeah, I think I think that 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 big thing, you know, as I said, that just the awareness uh, where I think people, and it's probably because of your fine institution as well. I think people really know what it is now, um, even if they're not doing it, they're aware of it, uh, they're looking into it. So definitely much more awareness in terms of people knowing, you know, that they need to do it or are in process of doing it. So I'd say that's one big. Way has changed. I guess the other way it's changed is a negative, where you know it's just getting harder to get people on the phone. Um, you know, win loss is really 
a phone exercise. You know, many people have tried doing it uh, via the web. It's just not as nearly as effective. It is a phone conversation, and as you know, uh, people are more and more distracted. So getting people on the phone just keeps getting harder and harder each year. And then, you know, technology, I think, has really changed how win-loss works. Uh, it's moving to more of a dashboard approach, uh, you know, in, in terms of being able to give real-time access to data and results, whereas before, you know, you'd get a report every six months or every year, and that was okay. But now people really need kind of that real-time access to it. So it's, it's, uh, it's changed in a lot of ways. I think probably maybe the biggest way it's changed, though, is just, you know, when you look at attention spans in a Google world, um, you know, more and more people want quick answers. They want to, I don't want to say shortcuts, but people think that they can get answers to things more quickly. So that dedication to the process, that kind of feedback process, that grinding out and slowly making incremental improvements, I think is eroded in some cases. So I think more people uh, sometimes see win-loss as a, as a point in time exercise as opposed to a long range program and learning uh, exercise. So that impatience and that ADD, I think, is sometimes works against the process. And I think win-loss is really about you know, committing to a continuous improvement and feedback process. And I think that's, that's tougher to do in today's world. So those are a few ways that we think the research has evolved in the last 20 years. I think that's really interesting, too, because I think um, to some extent it's such a survey culture these days, right? You get surveys about your experience all the time. You bought a car, you get yeah. 20 surveys. And those are super powerful, but I think sometimes people feel that they replace the win-loss and they really serve very different purposes. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great point is, I mean, a lot of where where the web type of point in time surveys work better is in that kind of customer centric research experience. You know, uh, you know, when, when you're uh, you know, a current customer asking about their experiences. But win loss is more, I always like to think about it, it's really prospect satisfaction analysis. You know, so many companies do client satisfaction, but, but fewer obviously do prospect satisfaction. And that, uh, for whatever the reason, tends to be more of a phone conversation uh, and, and an engagement. Um, it's just harder to do over the web. But you're right, uh, a lot of Surveys become easier with SurveyMonkey and SurveyGizmo and all these different platforms. Um, it's it's taken away from kind of the conversation. And I think the conversation is where you really get a lot of great uh, nuances, especially for the sales process, which is more of an art than a science in so many ways. So talk to me, uh, as you've helped organizations do this for 20 years, about some of the best practices that you've developed, that you've seen company use, uh, that our listeners might be able to leverage themselves. Sure. Um, you know, I think that um, one of the best practices we see, and this is really globally, you know, the best companies doing win-loss really focus on organizational buy-in. Uh, it, and it has to come in many ways from the top. You need to have, and win-loss is, is great because it interfaces with a lot of areas of the company, but that's also its downside as well. So if you, if you run a win-loss program and you're not, and you don't have multiple areas in your company bought in, it, it can work against you. So the best companies really work to make sure the senior management team is on board, the head of, head of sales and the sales team are supportive, sales ops, marketing, the CMO, the head of product marketing management, the head of competitive intelligence, all of those people are consumers of win-loss. And the best companies uh, make sure that all of them are using it 
and, and, and that it's not a witch hunt and that it's really a culture of, of learning and, and kind of a growth mindset. And so that's a best practice we see. Another best practice is just making sure that the data is clean. Um, it sounds like you might have run a win-loss program or two in your day, uh, Rebecca, but if, if anybody out there that's, that's running a program knows, you know, it's garbage in, garbage out. So you've got to have great quality data. You can't just pull it off of Salesforce. You've got to take that interim step of really scrubbing it, cleaning it, checking with the sales team, making sure we have the right contacts, the right information, uh, so that you know whoever's doing the interview is is starting from a, a great spot. And then lastly, I think the best companies take action. Uh, you know, win loss isn't something you do and put in the drawer. You've got to really reflect on the feedback, come up with strategies to do something about it. And the best companies, the leaders, we always see that the market leaders usually get to win-loss first. They usually institutionalize it first, and they usually start to take action. And that gives them a competitive advantage uh, over other uh, companies. So I think taking action is, is definitely a best practice, but hard to do uh, because uh, it involves change uh, and so forth. So those are some of the, the best practices we see at, at, our, at our clients that, that seem to get it the most. Okay, let's go through each of those a little bit deeper. So when we talk about getting people on board, uh, I think you're absolutely right. It's critical. Uh, it's how sales shares the right information. It puts people in the right place to listen so they can take action. What are some um, some examples of what you've done to make sure that, that all the different departments and management were on board with the win-loss effort? Yeah, it's it's it, there's no shortcut to it. Um, it it's it, I mean, in, in our business, um, we you know, we really take it on ourselves to make sure that we're spreading the knowledge of win-loss throughout the company because it's not always an intuitive thing for, for a stakeholder or uh, someone at our a client to, to think about. So we at Anova uh, have to put a lot of time and energy into introducing the concept, the research, the process, the results, and the benefits to all the different stakeholders. And many times we don't have access to them, so it can be difficult. So it's really working through your buyer and trying to educate them enough so that they have the confidence in you to, uh, you know, make sure that you spread the results to other people. So there, there's there's really it's a lot of phone calls, it's a lot of WebExes, it's a lot of sharing the results, making sure that the reporting is getting to all of the different stakeholders, and also making sure that when you do do the final report, that you're getting a good quorum of, of leaders in the room, which is hard to do when, when, especially in technology companies where people are spread out. So, uh, you know, what we try to do is just really, uh, keep, keep spreading the message because a lot of times you get hired by one or two people at a 10,000 person company and, you know, win loss isn't for two people, it's for a whole company, it's for the senior management team. And so if you can't get to them and, and let them see the value, uh, they won't get it and they won't get the value. So. We uh, really put a lot of work into that, and, and we need to keep putting more work into really uh, marketing the benefits of it because uh, it doesn't really happen on its own. I don't know if that answers your question or not, Rebecca, but that's kind of one of the things we do. No, I think help. that's you know spreading the word and uh, showing them the benefits. I think sometimes sharing case studies or stories, or sure. and honestly, if you can just start and then demonstrate what you learned right there, right? Part of it is 
you know, sometimes we wait and think we, we can't get started because we need a big program and we can't share results until we have 800 reports or whatever. Right. Um, and just starting to share and use and talk about how you've leveraged that data can be a powerful demonstration of, of it in action. Absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Case studies are key and it just takes a few you know, wins where somebody says, hey, I learned this from win-loss and they were able to win the next deal and that can get everybody on board. Uh, but as you know, it's tough because it's the data sometimes stings at first, it's feedback, you lost the deal for a reason and you find out why it is. Not everybody has that growth mindset of wanting to know that information. So, uh, and, and in a company, you've got a variety of different people <laughs> with all the different attitudes towards feedback. So that's where you can run into roadblocks and that's just uh, being human. Ah, uh, right. So the, some of them are more of the ostriches where if I don't know it's wrong, it, it won't. Right. Yep. Yep. Versus yep. some people are, you know, some people really proactively look for feedback all the time, even when you're like, no, it's good. And they're still poking. So there is, to your point, a, a natural spectrum of personality types. Um, right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's a great book called Mindset on this very topic, which talks about there's kind of two mindsets. There's the growth mindset and a fixed mindset. A growth, a fixed mindset says, I know what I, I was born this way. I have a certain amount of skills and life kind of happens to you and you just kind of uh, move along and you can't really alter your trajectory too much because you're kind of born with an innate kind of uh, intelligence, ability, et cetera. Growth mindset people think and believe that they can improve their skills by uh, practice by getting feedback, by working with mentors, by doing all sorts of things. Their mindset is I can move the needle if I work harder. And so we find that the growth mindset people are really the consumers of win-loss. They're the ones who get it. But when you clash with fixed mindset people who are the people that have been with the company for 20 years and I know all this, I don't, I don't need to, to, to do the research, that's where the clash happens. And those fixed mindset people might be right. They actually might know, but you might have another 500 people that don't know or are new to the company or don't have that level of insight. So it's it's that information sharing that's just so key. You know, it's really interesting. At one company I worked at, we used a, a third party to do a win-loss effort, um, much like your company. Uh, but it wasn't yours, but I'm it was good. Uh, my feeling. Uh, oh, I my. know. Now I'm all that's awkward. It's the awkward part of the podcast. Oh, but I didn't know you then, Rich, so it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I won't take it personally. Um, but it was really interesting. So they, they had done this full report and they showed it to me. And I was kind of, they're like, so what do you think? Isn't this interesting? And when they first showed it to me, because I, you know, we kind of did a dry run before we went to the, the bigger executive team. And I was like, yeah, I mean, nothing here surprises me, but it's good, right? And I think you could feel like the air just go out of them. They're like, oh, right? But for me, it was like, yeah, these are known problems that we talked about, blah, blah, blah. Uh, which was not a bad thing. It's good to get validation. But it was really interesting is when we presented it out to the executive mm -hmm. team and to the board yeah. Yeah. was that they heard it. They heard it. And I don't think they'd heard it before. Right? Right. Oh, no. That, yeah, that is a great I'm glad you brought that up because one of my favorite sayings by Stephen Covey, Covey is to know and not to do is really not to know. Mm -hmm. to know and not to do is really not to know. So, so many times we present research and oh, I, I knew that, but there, if you're, if you're still doing it, you really don't know it. A lot of people say, I know, I, I know going to the gym is good for me, but they don't go. Well, you don't really know because you're not going. So you're absolutely right. And, and people, 
a lot of times we, as an independent third party, I've, I've done a lot of win-loss presentations myself to sales teams, senior management teams, CEOs. Sometimes you just need a third party to come mm -hmm. in and, and say something and people hear it differently because everybody's got their own personalities and agendas and uh, the way that they interface with people. And sometimes just having somebody from the outside come in and say, here's what's going on and, and, and reflecting a mirror which is all I think win-loss is. It's just the mirror of the marketplace of your company. Uh, it can be really super impactful. And you're right, they'll hear it differently and then action will be taken. You know, another thing too, for leaders, uh, you know, I, I, I've been running a Nova a long time. You know, a lot of times just confirming something helps free up a leader's decision-making. You know, once they see it on paper, they read the quotes and they say, you know what? I gotta do something now. I knew this was an issue, but now I really know it, and now I'm gonna do something about it. So just getting back, to know and not to do is not to know, um, and I think that's exactly what you're hitting on. I think that's the central core of what win-loss can do when done correctly. Absolutely, and I mean, it really, uh, it opened the door to the change that that, that I had, uh, and not just me, I mean, but, but that really you could see that the company needed to do, and it, it made everyone feel, you know, it, it lowered the risk in everyone's mind. And, and yeah. heighten the comfort, and it was just very powerful um, to see that go through. So it's funny because it the reverse is also true. A lot of times, you know, uh, junior people know of issues that they can't get the senior management team to change, which sounds like maybe was happening at your company. Yep. I've had a lot of cases in my career where they're like, "We want you to talk to the CEO." <laughs> so yep. It's like you, we think you can convince them, and I, I, I've done that a lot because uh, I don't have as much skin in the game uh, and, and being able to tell them like it is. And sometimes just people feel like they can't be vocal about challenges. So a lot of why we get hired isn't necessarily from the senior management team. Sometimes it's from people who are change agents that really wanna see change and they need us to be the megaphone. Uh, and that's another value of win-loss. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that really I think is, is one of the things that triggers the number, the third best practice you talked about, the take action, right? Yeah. Uh, because again, if you, if you know it, and I've been at another company where we were doing win-loss and I actually put a stop to the program for a while and I was talking to uh, about why we were doing that and I was like, because we know what's wrong. We just have to fix it, right? Yeah. And when we fix it, we're as we start to fix it, we'll restart the program because we'll make sure we're fixing it the right way and we'll find out what next we should fix. But right now, you know, we're spending many resources to find the same problems. Right? Right. Yeah. You keep, you keep, you keep working at all these companies and not working with our firm really getting my feelings hurt. <laughs> I know. Right? <laughs> so it gets deeper and deeper. Right. This isn't, I know I, all the listeners are thinking of oh, we, we're going to run from ANOVA, but uh, no, I mean, you're, <laughs> You're, you're absolutely right. Um, taking action's hard, and, and there's always reasons why you know you, you don't want to do it. And I think that's just, inertia is a powerful thing. I, going back to the gym thing, there's a million reasons why you don't feel like going to the gym, and, uh, and, and taking action's hard. Turnover happens, new leadership happens, uh, summertime happens, and mm -hmm. time goes on, and it's hard to do, and I think that that's, uh, but the best companies do it and commit to that process. And, and I think that's where win-loss plays best. And it's what is great, though, is when you, uh, in this case, we just had a, a very sort of cumbersome legal and paperwork process, right? We were, our 
it was long, it was inflexible, and we just knew this was a huge problem. Uh, yeah. We fixed it, we restarted the program, and you could you could hear it, right? I mean, it was really demonstrative, uh, demonstrable results from those changes that then came through there, which allowed us to then uncover the next layer of issues. But right. it was also really um, validating to say, okay, look, we made that switch. We knew it was important, and the market is reflecting back that we did it well. Yeah, and that is uh, one, one of the greatest things to see when you're doing win-loss over a period of years, when the company has taken change in action, and you can see it in the data, and it really validates that feedback loop and that action strategy. Uh, it, it's a, it's, 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 that's when loss at its highest art form is when you can see it in the data, the changes you've made. And I know you, you know, you can't share too much about your customers. Everything's under NDA, of course, but can you give us some stories of where you've seen that kind of impact from a win-loss program? Sure. Um, I mean, the, the one I always enjoy the most is we had, a, we have a customer who's a very, uh, consultative, they come from kind of a consulting heritage um, and, and focus on being really a hands-on sort of consultative company. Uh, but they're up against a lot of other more technologically oriented companies. And a lot of their pitch was, uh, without getting into too much specifics, was around you know their heritage and the way they differentiated themselves was around being very hands-on and high touch and service and consulted and, and consultative. But they were losing a lot because they found out from doing the research that their their pricing was in sometimes many times lower than their competition. So they had customers saying, you know, they were pitching me this high end service, but they were cheaper. And we found that was a disconnect. And so they were actually losing because people didn't believe their story, even though the story was true. And uh and through win-loss, believe it or not, they learned that they could raise their prices. Oh, my gosh. That's like the uh, best news ever. <laughs> and talk about a, a, a no-cost uh, strategy. So they, they raised their prices to be more in parity with, with the marketplace and in some cases even charged a premium. And they found they were able to win more and get rid of that thing. And it actually played better into their value proposition strategy. And they began winning more business at a higher premium at a more profitable rate. And so that's probably my favorite win-loss example uh, of, of, of a company. And, and that's a, that was a pretty insightful sort of feedback loop. So we, we felt really good about that for our customer. You know, and it does bring up a good point. I actually think pricing information, um, there aren't a lot of ways to ask about pricing information, but in, in other settings, right? Did you yeah. feel like you paid too much, right? It's not really a survey question. <laughs> right. But there are some great win-loss questions that can give you more um, uh, feedback on your pricing and the way you're packaging and, and presenting your pricing that can be really I, powerful. Yeah. we And that's another reason why, you know, we just have this business of just being that third party because pricing is one of those areas that's very difficult for a salesperson to ask about. Um, you know, when you think about it, salespeople, they're really not in an objective position to understand why they're winning and losing. And they're in a challenged position to ask about the competition and, and pricing and, and so forth. It's just kind of an awkward thing. So coming at it as a third party, there's a lot more options to kind of get to that uh, type of level. But I'll throw a funny stat at you. I mean, do you know what percentage of salespeople actually uh, set up a separate debrief call? with a prospect after they lose any guess? 
at how often salespeople actually will do a debrief. Oh, I can't imagine. Very high. Um, I'm going to go with 12. Ah, well, there you go. So we actually, as part of writing the book on win-loss, which we did with McGraw-Hill a number of years back, you know, we, we did a survey of salespeople. We, we talked to over 500 salespeople, and we asked them all about their attitudes towards win-loss. And one of the questions was, we said, how often do you actually call up the prospect and ask why you lost? And only 19% of them said that they do that. Oh, wow. So one in five salespeople actually will actually pick up the phone. So what does that mean? It means a lot of salespeople are simply taking the loss over email or they're, they're getting the information on the bad news call, which is the worst time to try to get feedback. Uh, so it's kind of showing salespeople really don't debrief at all. And there's a lot of reasons for that that we kind of talk about in the book. But you know that, that's kind of a good example of where I think win-loss can help, particularly in that pricing element where you asked about, because we can you know, your vendor can probe on those kind of things. Your sales team has a lot more of a challenge. And we know only one in five of them are going to pick up the phone anyway. So it's kind of compromised at best. Yeah. And one of the things we always teach is that if you are involved in the sales cycle for that customer, you really can't do the win-loss because you're just, you, you first of all, you have an emotional attachment. doesn't matter how much you try to stop it. Um, right. But they're going to see you through that lens. Um, so you get yeah. those, those, uh, it's why often they often will tell you it's price or something like that where they don't where they're it's it's an easy answer right you're not yes. going to get that same depth of feedback so that's that's right we always joke uh, you know uh, a win has many uh, parents and supporters a loss is an orphan you know and it, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it is that way and I think prospects do you know. Very few salespeople, when you say, why'd you lose, do they say, I, I, don't, think I, I, I don't think I made a great presentation, or I should have I done this, or I should have customized more. I shouldn't have gone out drinking the night before with the team. You know, they, don't, they don't say that, but believe me, we hear it all the time. I mean, we get that kind of feedback, like, wow, the team looked hungover. You know, I mean, those kind of insights come out when you disintermediate the salesperson from the feedback process. Uh, now, I'm not saying all salespeople do that. I'm just, that's obviously a fringe case, but... It is uh, very much a challenge for salespeople to kind of have that self-awareness. They're just not in an objective position to do it, and that's not their fault. Okay, okay, hold that thought. We'll be right back after this. Did you know that according to a recent third-party study from Tech Validate, the average attendee at Pragmatic Marketing reduces their time to market by more than 25%? Get time back on your side and register today at pragmaticmarketing.com slash buy. All right, let's get back to the podcast. You know, we've talked a lot about the history of win-loss and kind of where we are today and you got some great best practices. What do you think the next five, 10 years, how do you see win-loss evolving in the future? Yeah, it, it's a, I, I love that question. It, it really makes me, think. Um, I do think we'll continue to see wider adoption. Uh, we've definitely noticed it here in really the last two or three years that the volume of inquiries uh, has picked up a lot, a lot more Google searches on win-loss, a lot more phone calls. So we, we do think uh, that um, it will uh, uh, eventually get to much wider adoption, you know, probably never 100%, but can it get to 80%? You know, I think that's that's possible. So could the adoption rate double in the next 
10 to 20 years, it probably will. Um, when you think about it, um, you know, most companies do client satisfaction now. Uh, far fewer do, do win-loss, which again, I think is just prospect satisfaction. So I think that that will uh, happen as well. I think from the industry's perspective, I and mean, when you look at like uh, companies like ours, you know, we need to do a better job of continuing to help these companies disseminate the data. It's kind of like what we talked about at the beginning of the call, you know, really just getting out and, and educating uh, the industry and, and, and these communities and these companies about the value and making sure that all the stakeholders understand it. So I think that um, execute, in terms of execution, you know, you can get very good at doing things, but that next level step of really helping your clients interpret the data and, and, and getting those relationships in place where they trust the, the feedback loop and that everybody's working in concert. I think that's probably the next step in win-loss's evolution and, and a lot of where it falls down today is just getting everybody on, on your, at the company, at the client level, bought into the process and accepting it and not taking it negatively or being insecure or uh, being afraid of the feedback, you know, helping to build cultures of, of support and continuous improvement, I think is kind of the next mountain to climb for win-loss uh, specialists. So I think those are some of the ways that it'll change in the future. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Rich, this has been great. And we've talked about a lot of different things to do with win-loss. If you were to pick two things that you wanted people to do differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today, what would it be? Uh, wow. Uh, well, I think if you're not, um, if you're not doing win-loss today and you're listening and you have an interest, I mean, I think that the best thing you can do is, is get educated. Um, you know, we always say at Inova, you know, our best customers are, are an educated customer. Um, so we put a lot, I mean, it's one of the reasons we like doing a podcast like this. Um, we do a lot of webinars, we wrote the book, we, we do a lot of blogs and speaking. And so if you're looking to get into this or understand it better, there's, there's a lot of uh, content that you can can learn from so I would say if you're not doing it right now get educated read uh, talk to people is uh, plenty of resources on our website and, and get up to speed that's the number one thing you can do to make sure that you're doing it correctly um, and and getting uh, you know well educated before you do it if you're doing it now I mean in terms of taking it to the next level you know uh, a lot of the things that we talked about I think the other big thing you're doing it as your company is just that data integrity um, that's probably the hardest thing our clients struggle with and really is probably the biggest reasons that win-loss programs can fail or can have struggles is just that interim step of, of getting the data off Salesforce and then really making sure that that data is correct and, and taking that next step and consulting with the sales team make sure are these the right buyers who is the champion who is the decision maker who should we be talking to? Because I think where a lot of win-loss uh, programs have struggles is when you get a data dump of 15 or 20 contacts on a deal and you're trying to figure out who's who, that doesn't really work very well and it really slows things down. So I think if you have a program in place, focus on data integrity, focus on getting buy-in at your company and really double down on those things uh, because that's really where the, uh, the power comes in not so much just the day-to-day the -day of running a program. So I don't know if that helps or not, but those are some ideas. Super helpful. All right. Thank you, Rich. It has been a genuine pleasure having you today, and I do hope that you join us again soon. 
Well, thanks so much, Rebecca. I really appreciate you having me, and I hope we've given your audience some ideas on how they can uh, take their win-loss program to the next level, and I hope they do. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right, that does it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. 